So great to be with y'all this morning. Can we give your praise band one more big hand, please, please, please. Man, I'm, I'm always impressed every time I come and, and Trevor's out today and they did not miss a beat. Always just bless my heart every time I get to be here. I'm Brian. I'm the lead pastor of a church called Calvary in Grand Prairie. Um, if you're new, let me encourage you, please, please, please come back next week here. Doug Reif, he's an amazing man of God, a tremendous communicator of God's word. And now that I've gotten that out of the way, I can thoroughly trash him like I've been waiting to do because Doug Reif, the headmaster of the school, Neil Childs and Stephen Stapleton who are here today are my best friends in the world, which means I need a lot of prayer. And just to be honest with you, quite a bit of medication just to make it through all of that. Um, but it's always good to be here at Temple. My wife, Jenny, works at Temple Christian. Vance is a, about to be a junior here uh, at the school. I feel like our church and your church are kind of sister churches, one spirit. And so real, real privilege to be here continuing our series entitled, But God. If you would take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 50. Your Bible, your phone, I always tell our folks, I know we've got it on the screens, if you can get it in front of you, there's something about having the Word of God in your hand um, that encourages you to take it home with you, to get even more later on. Genesis chapter number 50, and I want to do it a little bit different today, and, and this text has so moved me and so blessed me. And so encourage me. I actually just want to start with the word of God and let it do what it does before we take a step. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. This part gets me every time and it does you too if you know the story. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. In Hebrew, that's translated all over the Old Testament as, Behold, we, your brothers, are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God. But God. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today just feeling like we're treading on holy ground, and already the table's been set. Already we've sung about your faithfulness, God. We've sung about your promises, your promises, your promises, and how good you are. And Father, we just come today asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to show us Jesus, to invade the secret places of our heart. God, where there is sin, to expose it. God, where we've lost hope, that you might lift us up. God, where we've lost faith, that you might inspire that faith in us. We just want to give you this time and ask you to work in it powerfully. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. It's the question that everybody asks 
but nobody asks out loud. And the question is this, how can God be so good? How can God be so powerful? We sung about it all morning. How can God be so loving, yet allow so much evil in our world? It's a question we've all had. Where is a good God in the pediatric cancer ward? When little children and even babies are fighting for their life and families are struggling just to breathe. Where's a good God in the courtroom of justice when oftentimes it seems like there is no justice and, and, and criminals and murderers and rapists and, and child molesters go free? Where's a good God in the low budget nursing home? And I've been in a lot of them. Where you have folks that have effectively been forgotten pushed away into some corner to spend all day looking out the glass at a world that's passed them by? Where's a good God in the midst of unspeakable devastation caused by hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and tsunamis? It's a question we've all had in our mind, even if we never stated it out loud. Where's a powerful God and where was a powerful God in the Nazi Holocaust? In the killing fields of Cambodia, the genocide of Rwanda, the torture chambers of Iraq and South America, the drug war murders ongoing in Mexico. But the question is a lot more personal than that, isn't it? Where was a loving God when some of the people in this room went through some of the most unspeakable, indescribable pain? There are people in this room that have lost a mate. There are people in this room that have endured the unendurable loss of losing a child. There are people in this room who have loved ones with Alzheimer's and you're seeing it take them, that loved one. There are those fighting cancer. There are those who grew up with abuse or molestation. There are those that are in an ongoing way enduring those very things today. There are those who were asked years ago in war to take the life of another. And you can't forget it. And it's hard to get past it. We human beings are meaning makers. We, we always want to know why. It's just intuitive to human nature that I want to know why. I want to be able to take this situation, crack it open like a fortune cookie and say, okay, this is why I went through that. This is why that had to happen. But when we pass through life's greatest storms and endure its greatest pains, and the answer is not clear, and it's not even close to clear... It is very easy to conclude that maybe God isn't real, or God isn't good, or God isn't God. Listen, when evil happens to you, I'm talking about inexplicable evil and the kind that changes you on a cellular level. When that happens, it is very easy to get bitter, 
to get bitter. I want to entitle our time together today, Evil Happens. Yes, it does. But God. Evil happens. Listen, your Bible makes no attempt to hide it. Christianity, often accused of being kind of naive and pie in the sky. Real Christianity says in the boldest of terms, yes, there's the worst kind of evil in a broken world. But God. But God. The story of Joseph occupies 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. In other words, his story occupies more space in that book than any other individual. I I didn't even really ever think of this, that Joseph's story occupies more than the story of Adam, more than Noah, more than Abraham, more than Isaac, more even than his own father, Jacob, who became Israel. And Joseph was this extraordinary young man caught in the middle of some extraordinarily rough circumstances. Look at Genesis 37. We're going to do a lot of reading today because the story's so good, like all I could do and try to explain it to you is mess it up. It, It speaks for itself. Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. And by the way, I'm talking to some troopers, baby. You came out in the rain today. You came out in the rain to church. How many of you glad you came to church? Say amen. Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan, and these are the generations of Jacob. Now we switch to his son. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, plural. And Joseph brought a bad report of his brothers to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And Israel made Joseph a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated Joseph and could not speak peacefully to him. A lot of you know the story, but let me just kind of reset it up for those who may not. Jacob had 12 sons, one daughter through four different mothers. Talk about like soap opera from day one. But two of Jacob's sons held a particular place in his heart. They were the two babies of the family, Joseph and Benjamin, his only sons born to his most beloved, gorgeous wife, Rachel. So he loved these two. And in addition to this, the Bible says Jacob had Joseph very late in life. Verse 3 tells us that Jacob was the son, uh, excuse me, Joseph was, I'm going to do that the whole message, okay? So when I say Joseph, Jacob instead of Joseph, I mean Joseph, not Jacob. So let's just do that now. I'm old. Verse 3 tells us Joseph was the son of Jacob's old age. So sadly, all these factors led his dad to make a terrible mistake. Parents, it's a terrible mistake to practice favoritism. One commentator said when Joseph was born, Jacob got a new lease on life. We often witness that today when men in their late 40s or older become fathers. That I got a little shiver just reading that, thinking about it. Were that to happen now, let's just move on. When that happens, older fathers seem to gain a new incentive to rearrange their lives. And that's what happened to Jacob when Joseph was born. The text not only indicates that Jacob probably used his 17-year-old son to spy on his other sons, like Joseph was kind of his spy balloon. He would float in above the brothers and kind of bring back a report from time to time. 
But dad also gave his son a gift that would utterly set him apart. Verse 3 says, a robe of many colors, a technicolor dream coat, if you will, given to his son. And several commentators believe this robe was not only multicolored, it was highly ornamented, had stuff all over it. It was sleeved, it extended down to his ankles. Can you imagine how that would have set Joseph apart from his brothers who had plain, short, sleeveless tunics? All of them the same. Now look at four. Man, this is rough. It's where it starts to turn them. But when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him. They hated him. And they couldn't speak peacefully to him. And the situation was about to get even worse. Look at five. Let's read on. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream. And we're like, bro, like maybe just keep that one to yourself, right? <laughs> like, like okay, you had a dream. It's like, like, hang on to it, right? But he doesn't. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And those of you that are oldest in the family are not surprised the baby dreamed that dream, are you? But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What's this dream you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind because Israel walked with God for a while and he kind of smelled God on that thing. Can I just say before we go any further, you can argue all day the wisdom of him sharing these dreams with his brothers, but you need to remember something. God did give him that dream. He had a God-given dream where, where God had put in his spirit years before, like, like I'm going to do something with you. You're going to be special. I've got a purpose for you. It was his dream. Now look at verse 12. And we're going to read a lengthy passage that some of you are familiar with, but God give us new ears to, to hear it today. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. Bring me back a little spy information. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it's well with your brothers, with the flock. Bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Jacob went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They were not where they said they would be. If you have teenagers, you know that sometimes it's going to move on. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal's devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. Man, why? But when Reuben heard it, he's the oldest, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let's not take his life. Reuben said to him, shed no blood, throw him into a pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, ripped it off his back. The robe of many colors that he wore that his daddy gave him. They took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let us let our hand not be upon him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And we can make a profit this way. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. That was a very Jewish thing to do when you were grieving, when you knew things had broken down. And he returned to his brothers and said, the boy's gone. Where shall I go? My dad's going to hold me accountable. Then they took Joseph's robe and they slaughtered a goat and they dipped it in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it. And he said, It's my son's robe. A fierce animals devoured him. Joseph was without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and he mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And said, no, I shall go down to Sheol. I'll go to the grave to join my son and I'll do it mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph uh, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Please don't let this, because it's a Bible story, like lose its impact. Don't make them some kind of aliens uh, separated from what we know of life. Jacob is sold for 20 pieces of silver. That's the price of a crippled slave in those days. An innocent young man, he didn't do anything wrong, and he has his robe torn off his back by the very people he needed to love him, and he needed to support him, and he needed to set an example for him. And he's thrown into a filthy pit, and he's chained up, and he's abused, and he's sold on a block like a piece of merchandise. And it'll be over a decade till he sees his home again. It'll be many years before he ever sees his daddy's face again. And he feels abandoned. And he feels like he's been forgotten. Something occurred to me, I've I've heard this story a lot, you have too. But it occurred to me how cruel these circumstances were in light of Joseph's God-given dream. God gave him a dream. Joseph, one day you're going to be elevated, and now he's in a pit. Joseph, one day you're going to be admired by everybody, but he is cussed and hated and treated like a dog by his own blood. Joseph, one day you're going to be a leader, but right now he's a slave. And it's right here that Joseph has to make a choice. So do I. 
so do you. When evil happens, because evil happens, when life deals you a hand you never saw coming. And by the way, a lot of us grew up to believe if I just read my Bible and come to church and live a moral life and pay my tithes and do, like God's basically going to bless my family and keep us from harm. And if you grew up with that like I did, and you've been on earth any time at all, you have had that kicked out of you. When evil happens, the question is, will you get bitter or will you get better? Will you get bitter or will you get better? Hebrews 12, 14, I've read this, but I, I saw it with a different view recently. Work at living in peace with everyone. Work at living a holy life, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. The idea is God's grace is still available, but something in your life happened that busted you up so bad, you won't even take it from him anymore. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. I want to fast forward about 15 years. Joseph has been a hated son. He's been a mistreated slave. And now in this wild turn of events, he has become a shining success. By the way, can I just tell you that just because you're in a tough situation now does not mean that thing lasts forever. Just because you're in a bind right now doesn't mean you're going to stay in a bind. Listen, this God we serve is a God of the suddenlies. All over this Bible and all over the experience of people who've walked with God a while, you can see you can be heading right down to the pits of despair and suddenly God will change everything. God will change your circumstances. God will change your job. God will change your life. God will do something you never saw coming because he can. And God does something for Joseph. God didn't remove him from a bad situation, but he changed him in the middle of it. He didn't grant him a transfer. He did transform him through his pain and adversity. It was in the fire that Joseph developed patience. He honed his organizational skills. He learned how to handle responsibility. In this terrible circumstance, he's being made like a sword is forged in a fire. And when the time comes in this remarkable twist of fate, this dreamer who had his dreams crushed interprets a dream for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh lifts this guy out of the pit and lifts him up high and says, Joseph, nobody's got God on him like you do. I'm going to make you second in command of the world power of the day of Egypt. I'm going to promote you. You're literally going from rags to riches. I'm going to put my ring on your finger. You're going to be incredibly powerful and you're going to get us ready for the famine that my dream said is coming. And then things get real wild. (laughs) Because the famine is everywhere, and that also includes the area where Joseph's brothers are still living. And Jacob's still grieving the loss of his son all these years later. He'd never gotten over it. 
said, y'all need to go to Egypt. I hear they have food in Egypt so that we don't starve to death. And they go, and when they come to ask for food, they have to ask for food from their brother Joseph. And they don't recognize him. He's a changed man. But Joseph recognizes them. That person that hurts you, that thing that hurt you, it's still there. And they ask him for food. And if you've never read this entire story, please, please, please go back and read it. It'll bless you. It'll move you to tears. It'll do a lot. But in the end, Joseph reveals, I'm your brother. I'm your brother. Go get daddy. Move down here. I'm going to take care of all of you and all of your families. Like God's been taking care of me. And that brings us back to our text. Jacob and Joseph, man, I, I get emotional every time I read that, man, when they come back together. And it's like hug each other's neck. And, and, and now Jacob's made peace with everything and he's passed away. And it's sort of this beautiful honoring thing between Joseph and his dad. And now he's gone. Now we pick up in verse 15, go to chapter 50. I'm going to read a whole lot more, but. Chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. Yeah, maybe. Remember when you ate a meal while he was screaming in the pit? Remember when you took his robe off his back and soaked it in blood and told his daddy he was dead? Yeah, he he might want some revenge for that. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Look at how gross this is. I don't know if he actually gave a command or not, but it's like we found a note when dad passed away, right? That says don't hurt us, right? Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father, And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He still felt it. Still hurt him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we're your slaves. Just don't kill us. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. Yes, you did. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I think Joseph understood a couple of real basic things that changed everything. Look at 19. Joseph said, do not fear. Now get this. Am I in the place of God? You meant evil against me, but God. God, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And, and, and we look at it and we're like, I don't get it, man. Joseph, like, how, how could you not be bitter? How could you not be bitter? And I think oh, Joseph answers back through the, the eons because I refuse to try and play God. 
I refuse to try and play God. Am I in the place of God? Bitterness only has one requirement. If you're going to be bitter and stay bitter, you have got to put yourself in God's place. Here's the thing. Bitterness is different than anger. Anger or or outrage, right? Bitterness is outrage plus helplessness. I've been wronged. I've been hurt. I've been shamed. I've been offended. And I can't do anything about it. And nothing's going to be done about it. It's, It's this sense of injustice. And the idea is, since there's not a God on the throne who cares enough to do anything, since there's not a God on the throne who apparently is involved in this, I'll have to take that position in my own life. I'll have to play God. Friends, can I give you the line of this message? And and I'm finding it increasingly to be true as a person that struggled Throughout my life with bitterness. You can praise God. Or you can play God. But you can't do both. You can praise God. Or you can play God. But you can't do both. Joseph avoided getting bitter because he knew a couple of things. I want to give them to you and we'll be done. Joseph knew... I don't see fully, but God. I don't see fully, but God. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Second Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. The idea is that the eyes of our Creator run deep. They see everything, nothing in all of human history, nothing in the history of the universe has ever escaped His vision. And it even goes beyond the surface. We see in photographs, God sees in x-rays. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. Hebrews 4, 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything's naked and exposed before his eyes. And he's the one to whom we are accountable. Jacob couldn't see his brother's motives. God could. Jacob couldn't see, excuse me, Joseph, I told you. Joseph couldn't see the people he would meet in Egypt, but God could. Joseph couldn't see the changes that pain would bring to his character, but God could. Joseph couldn't see the devils and angels that were at war during this entire event, but God could. Joseph couldn't see how this whole thing was going to turn out. And all along the way, it looked like it was going to turn out terribly. But God could. The first thing to understand, friends, who've been hurt, who've been offended, who've been busted up by life, there are things going on that you can't see. But God can. I don't see fully, but God Here's the second one. I won't judge fairly, but God. 
I won't judge fairly, but God. Here's what he said in, in verse 20. I think I might have 21 on the screen, but 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. That was the truth. And it seems only right that he wants some revenge, man. I gotta take care of this thing. You hurt me, I now have a chance to end you. But I think he understood some principles about God. Listen to 1 Peter 2.21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example. You must follow in his steps. He never sinned. He never deceived anyone. He did not retaliate even when he was insulted. He didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. How? He left his case in the hands of God the Father, who always judges fairly. Friend, we make a mistake when we think that anybody gets by with anything. There is a judge in this universe who invented the whole concept of justice. He sees, he knows, and he judges. He holds accountable. There's nothing that escapes his notice, and there's nothing that escapes his righteous judgment. Joseph knew, I'm not giving up my desire for justice. I'm just turning it over to the only one who can do it right. If you think I may be embellishing that, listen to Romans 12:17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Listen, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. There's a time in my life where I thought that message, uh, that verse meant, if you'll just not judge and let God do that, he'll burn their head off with burning coals. And I was like, good, God, burn it. They deserve it, God, burn their head off. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think this is what it's saying. As the wise person once said, if I wrong you and you hate me, I'll be sorry. If I wrong you and you love me, you will break my heart. There's a lot of people who have come to Jesus Christ because they couldn't get over the example of somebody who just kept loving them. Who just kept forgiving them. Who just kept doing life with them. Let me give you one more thing. I don't see fully, but God. I won't judge fairly, but God. I can't forge or I can't change destiny. But God. You meant it for evil, y'all. You did. But God meant it for good. Isaiah 55, 8, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
There was a commentator by the name of Gene Getz who wrote these words. At age 30, Joseph could never have handled this world-class task without an intensive and experience-oriented course in management. It began in Potiphar's house where he managed all of his affairs. It continued in prison where he was eventually responsible for all the prisoners. Thirteen years later, he was put in charge of the whole land of Egypt. God's plan for Joseph was right on schedule. His preparation was tailor-made for the tasks God had for him. And because Joseph passed each test, learned from each experience, and learned to trust God more, he was ready when God opened the door of opportunity. He handled prestige and power without succumbing to pride. He persevered with patience and performed his duties faithfully and successfully. He was well prepared. Friend, I don't know all about your pain. What I do know is it is preparation. What I do know is if you have suffered greatly, you're not the same person you were when you went into the suffering as you are now. I don't know what all God's doing. Only a fool would try to tell you what God's doing. But he's doing He's changing you. You're not the same part. You know what? Some of you, pain is like a language. It's like a dialect. When you meet, when you're, when you've experienced pain and you meet somebody who's experienced pain, you can like smell it on them. Some of you have suffered things. You were able to speak a word of hope and encouragement into someone else who has suffered that thing like no preacher could ever do. Could it be that in the worst thing, God was getting you ready for your destiny. I don't know if I ever told y'all as I'm winding down here about the first time I met your pastor. So I, uh, I was actually walking through Arlington Memorial Hospital. Um, we live very close to that one. We, a lot of our folks go there from Grand Prairie. And, and I see Doug... Walking through the lobby. I only knew Doug because Neil, my best friend, grew up together in Big Spring, had introduced me once. We'd like shaken hands and said hello, and that was it. And Doug, I see him across the lobby, and we kind of like, hey, hey. And we come walking up together and, and exchange some like small talk, some pleasantries. And then right as we're like saying bye, guy like hugs me and like pulls in and just doesn't let go. Which at the time felt crazy awkward. (laughs) You know, I didn't think he was about to ask me out or anything. It wasn't that kind of hug. But it was intimate. And it was lingering. (laughs) And I I just felt like, "Hmm, what what is this? And like, just kind of looked at me and said, man, let's do lunch sometime. And I was like, nope. (laughs) No, I... He called me about two weeks later and said, man, let's go to lunch. And um, definitely felt like the Lord was prompting me to do it. There's something in his tone, something in his eyes that day. There was something there. And we sat down at, at my favorite Mexican food place in Grand Prairie. And again, just talked for a little bit. He said, let me tell you why I asked you to lunch. He said, that day... 
in Arlington Memorial, you look like the loneliest man on the face of this earth. And he said, I want you to tell me your story and like, don't get in a hurry. And I started just telling him kind of all the way up through call to the ministry, especially and through the dreams I'd had, what I thought God had told me and getting into a, a legacy church that's about to celebrate its 88th birthday and God moving me to start making us a church that could do ministry in the 21st century. But there was a whole lot more than that. And I'm telling you, so many times I got like choked up like I couldn't keep going. And I was like, I'm talking to this like near stranger. What is the deal? And we got to the end of it. And he said something to this effect. He said, he said, Brian, here's the thing. Right now, there are, there are two Brians in your life. There's Pastor Brian, the one who you've invented because you think he's what you're supposed to be. And he's successful enough and put together enough that people could love him. And then there's the real Brian that's busted up and has problems and has struggles and has a lot of pain. He said, here's the thing. Jesus only died for one of those. And he's going to put the phony one to death. And I'll be with you every step of the way while he does. You know, I'm telling you, that was over a decade ago, and a lot has transpired. I'm looking down there at that lady right there to celebrate 25 years of marriage. A lot has happened, a lot of painful stuff. And I'm telling you, I'm not the same human I was a decade ago. Different. And I'm finding really for the first time in my life, God is allowing me to, to do ministry in a way that is meeting broken humans where they are. I'm not the only one in here who's had pain. Will you get bitter? Or will you get better? Maybe that's not the question. Will you stay bitter? Or will you get better? You can praise God or you can play God. You cannot do both. Maybe there's somebody in your life. Maybe you had not spoken to them in years. They might have already passed away. But in your heart and in your mind, you still got your hands around their throat. Because they wronged you. Maybe there's an institution, maybe there's a church, maybe there's a history, maybe there's an old boss, maybe the, but that situation, you still got it by the throat. You suffer with it every day. How do you let it go? How do you let God be God? Ephesians 4.31 says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, Harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Just like Joseph, Jesus was loved by his father. 
but he came to earth and he was hated by his brothers and sisters. Just like Joseph. Jesus got sold for a few pieces of silver. And he got stripped of his robes. Just like Joseph, Jesus was falsely accused and hated and tormented. But just like Joseph, Jesus was highly exalted after his sufferings. And just like Joseph, Jesus chose to forgive and restore us all. How can I possibly let go? Because Jesus died to let me go. He died to let me go. And he died to let you go. What is that wagon load of pain, of shame, of regret, of bitterness, whatever it is you've been pulling behind you for a long time? Can we just do some business with God today? Can we, can we just get real with him? I'm going to ask you to stand with me all over the place. Here in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then the band's going to play. I don't know exactly what this might look like for you. To deal with something today. But I imagine I don't have to tell you what it is. You know what it is. You know what it is. You may need to pray right there in your chair. You may need to just, if you've got some tears to fall, let them fall, man. If they're going to fall anywhere, it ought to be in this place. If you need to talk to God right there in your chair, God will hear you right from that chair. If you need to make that chair an altar and kneel down and talk to him for a minute. If you need to take somebody by the hand that you love or, or come down with your family. Sometimes you just need to walk, man. You need to step out. There, there's, there's, there's something moving you. There's God pushing on you. I've got to do something with this. Come down and kneel at the stage and talk to him. For somebody, listen. You might need to cross the aisle today. Because the person that you need to let go might be in the room. Doesn't mean you give up a desire for justice where that pain is. It just means you give it to God. Doesn't mean you reconcile with them and your best friends after. Reconciliation is a two-way street, as your pastors often told you. But forgiveness is a one-way street. I refuse to try to be God and do God's job. I'm going to let this thing go. Some of you need to let somebody go that's been dead for 10 years. But you're still chained to them. I'm going to pray. The band's going to play. Can we just take a minute to talk to God a little bit? Father, I want to thank you that you're in this place. I want to thank you, God, for a good pastor of this church. What a gift he has of empathy. What a gift he has to see down deep into pain. I know this church has been well pastored and well provided for by the Rife family, God. And the the same God who's going to be here next week with Doug, you're here now. We don't want to wait. There's a thousand different scenarios under this roof. And you can deal with every one of them. I want to give this time to you, Lord. Do what you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.